Welcome to the Lead More Podcast. I'm your host, John T. Meyer. The Lead More Podcast is the show where we sit down with leaders of today to help inspire and create more leaders for tomorrow, because I believe the world needs more leaders. And speaking of tomorrow, we're definitely talking about tomorrow in this episode with Josh Western. Josh is the CEO and co-founder of SpaceForge. That's right, we're going to space. SpaceForge is working to make space work for humanity. They think the next industrial revolution isn't gonna be here on Earth. It's gonna be up there, above the atmosphere in space. And Josh is a fantastic leader. You might be thinking, what does space have to do with leadership? Well, I think Josh is a great leader, and I think that space is sort of having this resurgence. Space to me is about the future. It's about a better tomorrow. It's about opportunity. It's about big vision. And one thing we've learned on this show is that leaders, great leaders, need to have a big vision. But also, how do you cast a wide, big vision? You know, Josh needs to raise money from investors. He needs to hire incredibly talented, smart people, but then also be in the weeds of very tactical process, manufacturing, contracts, all this little minutia on the day-to-day. So we talk about that. How do you live in the 30,000-foot view? For him, even 150,000-foot view, 500,000-foot view, but also the three-foot view of what you need to do today and tomorrow. I ask him, is there a resurgence in space or is that sort of just what we hear about in the media? And we also talk about how do you stay motivated to tackle big problems? Josh is a British entrepreneur. No one has ever returned anything from space and brought it to Europe. And I was like, what? But he said, that's true. And so they are getting ready in eight weeks to do their first test, a test launch, which will return a spacecraft or a satellite from space to Europe. And that alone is making history. So how do you tackle big, hairy problems you know, and stay focused on that challenge? So Josh is, is delightful. He comes from a family of chefs, which he talks about how that has shaped him and just a, a fun person to learn from. So with that, let's go to space for this episode with Josh Western. All right. Welcome to another episode of the Lead More Podcast. I'm excited for this one. Uh, someone I met, an internet friend, I, I call them friends, and my wife is like, do you, how do you know these people? I'm like, well, I'm, I met them on a, on a course online, but uh, my my friend Josh, all the way over in the UK, Josh Western, the CEO and co-founder of SpaceForge. How are you, Josh? Hey, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm well, thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited. Uh Let's dive right in because you do. Uh, you have a, I would say, what would would be called a cool job. If you were going to my daughter's like kindergarten class and said, like, what does what does dad do or what does Josh do? Um, you'd be in the cool category. So tell us what SpaceForge is and what you do. Yeah, SpaceForge is an in-space manufacturing company, and we're building the world's first returnable and relaunchable satellite platform, the Forge Star. The reason we're doing this is to leverage the benefits of the space environment. Uh, which essentially allow you to overcome the barriers of Earth. We have microgravity, whereas on Earth you'd have you'd be weighed down by that. We have high purity vacuum instead of a dense atmosphere, and we can access plus or minus two hundred and fifty Celsius. Uh, don't ask me what that is in Fahrenheit. Um, whereas on Earth we have a fairly consistent temperature. That means that in space we can create about a billion new alloy combinations compared to what we can on Earth. Wow. Okay. So. The plain English there would be like, we do manufacturing, but when, but in space, it happens differently and we take advantage of that environment. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, essentially, we do every kind of manufacturing process that you could conceive of on the ground. 
but we have a much better baseline kind of almost starting environment compared to what we have to do on the ground to get something to work. Okay. And so the, the environment allows you, what is it like faster, cheaper, more like those type of benefits? More, uh, higher purity tends to okay. be the big one. Um, so if you, if you think about something like something really crude, like, uh, aluminum or aluminum, as I would say, uh, mm-hmm. combined with lead and you try to alloy that on earth, lead is really heavy. Aluminum is really light. Um, yeah. and you get like a really good seam of mix in the middle, but okay. on either side, it's broken in space. You don't have that problem. So you can get perfect uniformity across that type of material. Interesting. And that's all done on a satellite when it's up there. Yeah. So okay. the best thing for manufacturing in space is really to get away from all the humans. We tend to be the worst thing in any manufacturing loop or process. Interesting. Interesting. Um, and I know you said when we were talking before we hit record, like your customers aren't, aren't space companies. These are, are manufacturing companies that want to take advantage of the environment or give us an example of someone who would work with you guys. Yeah. Uh, so a great, great example would be like a, a semiconductor company. Um, okay. So not, not things like silicon, which you find in your cell phone. Uh, that's cheap. That's plentiful. Uh, it's literally made out of the right type of sand. Um, hmm. But when you look at something like um, what we call a compound semiconductor, these are much, much more complex structures. Um, gallium nitride, silicon carbide, you would find silicon carbide in the Tesla. Um, okay. yep. And uh, because of the different layers, they take a much, much longer time to produce. Um, and they need much cleaner environments to operate to be built in compared to silicon. Now in space, you have not only that clean environment because of the vacuum that surrounds you, mm-hmm. but the microgravity means that a lot of the product a lot of the processes that take place on earth don't in space because we don't have that directional force. That means you can create a much larger single purer crystal structure in space than you can on earth. Really what that translates to in benefit terms is it means that you can reduce energy use by about 60% in the infrastructure where that gets deployed. Sure. Sure. Interesting. Okay. Is there a safety component here too, or are, are we doing any sort of risky things where you mentioned like taking humans out is a benefit? Sometimes. Uh, Sometimes I'll be careful about what I'll say here, um, sure. but where you, you, That's can not the main start, you can, yeah, but you can do things in space whereby if a human were in the room, they probably would no longer be alive because um, sure. you can handle more and more dangerous chemicals. You can move up biosafety levels, looking at new cures and drugs and diseases and all sorts of things that on earth are just very difficult to research. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you're like putting a little laboratory in space and yeah. working within that box. Um, exactly. Very cool. So a theme on this show has been how often it's, and the answer is almost always uh, leaders emerge or sort of end up in their career path in a winding unexpected way, right? Like either it's a nudge or someone pushes them. Like they weren't, they didn't sit here at 10 years old and say, this is what it's going to look like at 40 years old. Um, And I know you mentioned, uh, I assumed like, oh, you must be an engineer. And you said, no, I studied politics. So let's, let's rewind. How did Josh become the CEO and a co-founder of a space company? Yeah, it's strange. Uh, and probably one of the reasons why I pinch myself every day that I get to do this. Um, my kind of career in space really came about from both cooking and cinema. Um, <laughs> so uh, like as an example, when I was three, my mum made me a birthday cake 
it was me. It was like me looking through a porthole window of a rocket. That was a, um, that was the cake. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I should say she's a chef. Um, so okay. the cakes were amazing. Um, oh, that's awesome. And then when I turned twenty three, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, uh, made me uh, almost an identical cake without ha- ever having seen the previous one. And, and for me, that was a real. Like you just described it, and she just yeah. made it. No, no, no. Didn't even know. She just made me a space themed cake. Oh my gosh. Uh, and my mum like dug out this old film photo. It's like a Twilight from, Zone episode. Yeah, from like the early 90s uh, of, of this birthday cake. And they looked the same. And they'd never seen each other's cake. I couldn't even remember that my mum had made me this cake. Whoa. Uh, and it felt really full circle when all of this kind of came together. Um, so to me, it was obvious I'd always had this passion for space. Yeah. And at the same time, uh, the cinema element was that my grandfather used to run cinemas um, around the UK at the time when the first Space for uh, Space, oh God, not Space Force. Wow, getting ahead of myself there. That's okay. The first Star Wars trilogy yep. um, came out in the, what, 70s? Uh, and so I grew up on Star Wars, Star Trek, that kind of stuff. And because he had that cinema background, I appreciated it for more than the story and the effects that it was. Uh, and that was kind of what led to that passion. Um, but I, to be honest, I wasn't very good at science growing up. Uh, sure. I was I was okay in kind of um, early stage education and stuff. But I ended up going down the humanities route. I found how people interacted with each other really interesting. Um, and my one of my early politics teachers always said that everything's politics. Mm. Um, and and to be honest, that's true. You know. It's, it can be a discussion as much about who's making dinner the in the evening sure. as much as sure. it is great macroeconomic policies. Sure. And I was fortunate. So when I was going through university, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And uh, my mum, we were sat down in like a, I don't know if this is a thing in America, but we have little cafes attached to supermarkets and shopping um, yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. grocery stores. And we were sat down in one of those and uh, my mum goes, okay, you're about to finish university. What do you want to do with your life? Um, and I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, and I took a law seminar and I fell asleep within five minutes. <laughs> and this wasn't a big lecture hall with 300 people. There were seven sure. of us. Sure. So embarrassing. Um, and I was like, I don't know, but I like writing. I like talking and I like eating. Uh, and she went, well, unless you're going to be a restaurant critic, I suggest you pick two of the three. So that's, that led me down that kind of talking and writing route. I did I did actually do restaurant reviews, but that was a... Very that was black a, and white. I like that's story. good advice. Yeah. So um, started applying for jobs around there, um, all sorts of things. But the year uh, that I graduated, which was 2014, uh, Tim Peake, the first British astronaut, was selected uh, to go to the International Space Station. And that's when I found out the UK even had a space industry. Uh, and I I wrote to the CEOs of space companies. One of them gave me a job interview uh, and I, I got a job. And it was really as kind of prosaic or serendipitous as that. And you were doing what? What was that first role? So I started in uh, reviewing contracts. Um, okay. Super, super boring job. Redlining uh, type stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, God, I, like even now it triggers me. Um, <laughs> but it was... Uh, the things that kept me going in that job were the contracts that these things were for. Landing rovers on Mars, flybys of Jupiter's icy moons, exploration of Saturn's rings, really cool stuff. But the joke in the industry 
was that the paperwork weighed more than the satellite. Uh, and fund, yeah, that proved to be true every time. That's good. Um, I mean, the cost of the logistics to ship these contracts around were insane. Wow. Uh, so now you're in the arena of space, we'll say. But how do you go from a paperwork junkie to like a vision of, I mean, this even just under, even even knowing if, if this idea of, of manufacturing in space could work scientifically, like how did that, yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that. So really that was another really serendipitous moment that I, uh, in one of the jobs I had at that company, I ended up sat next to my co-founder Andy. Uh, okay. And he, he is the technical wizard of space. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, he's a very Elon-like character, although he would he he's gonna text me later now saying he didn't appreciate that. Um also the a Brit. way uh, also British, yeah. Cool. Um, very cool. But the way that his uh I like to think of us as the 21st century Rolls and Royce. Um, <laughs> but the the way that it uh the way that, that came about was he led he led this uh, team at, at um Talis where we worked called Advanced Concepts. He basically he used to come up with crazy ideas how to that's your job, yeah. Yeah, a hell of a job. Uh, how to do bases on the moon, how to uh, mine asteroids for platinum, how much wealthy people would pay if they could play Quidditch on the International Space Station. Uh, worryingly, that was one of the business cases that stacked up the fastest. Um, <laughs> but he he used to work like you know, really out there stuff. And it was uh, and by this point, I'd moved into the sales team. Sure. And it was my job to pitch, sell, and secure funding for these kind of crazy things. And we had some success, uh, but as much success as you would expect when the ideas are that crazy. And we just we reached a point where you know it was almost born out of frustration that we we couldn't believe the way that a big corporation approached innovation was so um. It was almost like a ladder. It was like, do this 10% improvement and then do this 10% improvement and then do this 10% improvement. And it, we were just like, no, like, I mean, innovation is a word I, I've learned to not enjoy it. Sure. But for me, uh, what nobody really thought about was invention. And we could see these benefits of the space environment that we, we just weren't really leveraging that microgravity and that vacuum and amongst other things. Yeah. And we could see that for the first time ever, if you could leverage that at a big enough scale, then you could do some great things which helped us back here on Earth and, and addressed some of the most pressing issues of our generation, like the climate emergency. Um, so space has been a wonderful wow. tool for pointing out problems exist, like oil spills in the Gulf, uh, deforestation in the Amazon, but you still need somebody on the ground with a solution to go fix them. Yep, yeah, um, that makes sense. The opportunity to build something in space is the first opportunity we've had to do something in that environment that directly translates into solving those problems back here on earth. And a very inherent business case, right? It's not like we're going to go to space and we'll see what we find and what we learn. It's like, we know this problem exists and we know that we can solve it yeah. in this environment. Yeah. I mean, one, so one of the best things about doing this was uncovering in many ways, how late to the game we were. Um, so, you know, in, in space, uh, often it's a case of either being just in time or too early. Um, you're, sure. you're, ne you're never going to be too late to invent something in space. Sure. Uh, but the first time something was produced in space was 1973. 
okay. uh, on board Skylab, like which was the American precursor to the International Space Station. Yep. Research from that transitioned into the shuttle and then transitioned onto the International Space Station. So we had over 50 years of research already at our disposal of things that NASA and the European Space Agency and the Japanese Space Agency had been trying. Uh, and they found, you know, things that were where there were huge improvements, things was that where there were minimal. We could leverage that research immediately and target the use cases um, that we could then deploy into our system and back on Earth as quickly as possible. Wow. Okay. So, and then we'll wrap kind of on Space Forge with give me the um, just kind of like the little the, the baseball card facts in terms of um, how long you've been doing it, a number of employees. I know you've raised capital, and mm-hmm. also you you mentioned you have an exciting announcement coming up. Yeah, so uh, technically we started in a garage on the outskirts of our city in 2018. Uh, We went full-time on Space Forge in March 2020, the same week that the UK went into its first pandemic lockdown. Uh, Really interesting Perfect time to start a space company. (laughs) Because that's what everyone's thinking about, is like, how do we get off of this planet? Yeah, that that same mum that told me to do what I love doing I cannot tell you the telling off she gave me over the phone when she found out that I'd quit my job at the start of a pandemic. Uh, and so um, two of us, were, my co-founder working out of his garage, I was working out of a fold-out dining table in our flat. Wow. And we, uh, for 13 months, we had no facility. But in that time, we grew to about five, somewhere between five and seven people, I think. Okay. Um, today, we are 41 people. We represent 17 different countries. Uh, We we now actually have a facility that we work out of. um, And we are going to space as Space Forge um, in about eight weeks' time. That is so cool. I love it. We'll we'll definitely like hit more on this. You can sprinkle this in, but um, yeah. to bring people to thinking like, okay, so what does space have to do with leadership? And I think a lot. And so I'll make the case here. Uh, but first, I want to talk just about sort of this space resurgence, or that's sort of what I how I see it. Um, I'm a kid of the '80s, born in '85, and so like, yeah, grew up with watching Star Wars, and I can think about you know, it just seemed like everybody dreamed of being an astronaut or like going to space camp or, and then it just seemed, I don't know if it was social media or smartphones. Like we just, it was was like, we have everything we need right here in the palm of our hand. Um, But lately I've seen this, it seems to be in the media, this resurgence of space. And I don't know if it's again, little boys who become big grown billionaires and are all racing to go to space with their own space companies. Uh, but I wanted to get your take on, do you feel that is true? Are we, is other numbers that back that up in terms of investment dollars going into space? Um, mm-hmm. Are we having a space resurgence? Yeah, I think we are. Um, what I would say is that resurgence is in public opinion. The budgets okay. for space have, have, have pretty, have been pretty consistent. Um, now, now, I mean, NASA still does not spend on a, on a GDP basis as much as it used to during the Apollo era. Sure. Um, and I think I think in Apollo era, it was like 5% GDP, and now it's like 0.5, something like that. Um, but the, yeah, I mean, you know, I remember growing up watching those films, wanting to be an astronaut, kind of pre-Google. So uh, we had the Encyclopedia Britannia at our disposal. Yep. Yep. Um, there was no way for me to find out if I could become an astronaut. Uh, and at the time, NASA was the only space agency I'd ever heard of. So I assumed I'd have to be an American uh, Mm. to do it. And 
I think, and in many ways, I think I think that disconnect between knowing what was possible to achieve in the UK was why I didn't end up going down that science and engineering route and, and instead into other things where you could see there were jobs um, sure. in the UK. And that resurgence, I think, has really come about, you know, I mean, we have to give so much credit to SpaceX for what they've done, that kind of, you know, what we now basically call build in public. Sure. they were doing before we called it that you know all of the failures all of the boosters um the stories like private that, would they be the leader in private space sort of enterprise uh yeah i mean in terms of i think they really changed the narrative when it came to how investors thought about space definitely um you know i mean i mean nasa dod and others are still some of spacex's biggest customers but there was that there was that real narrative shift in in the investment thesis of space um and you know they really led that but i think at the same time what's happened is uh, and this kind of resurgence in public opinion has been people are beginning to understand how space helps us back here uh, and some of the billionaire races and tourist trips are, are damaging to that don't get, i want to go to space definitely <laughs> um, but i'm aware of the implications of me doing so sure uh, so, you know, I mean, think of like uh, space is how we get our weather reports, it's how we understand the effects of climate change, all the way through to like, um, there was this there was this kind of study commission, and it was something ludicrous, like if GPS didn't exist, then Amazon would make its deliveries something like three minutes slower between each delivery. Okay. But that then had a knock-on effect to the global effect. economy of like you know hundreds of billions because it just meant that they that amazon prime didn't work anywhere near as well as it could do with gps Fascinating. Uh, and so that i think has been the shift and then you know some of these players who did do you know i mean elon was working on, on uh paypal and other things before spacex uh bezos as early as he did set up blue origin was working on amazon before blue origin started and and all of these things um, so I think there's a much more commercial acceptance of what we're doing, but also I think there's that almost um, like, I want to say like almost like civilization awareness of the space is the next thing we have to explore. Um, but we've learned the lessons from 20, 20th century history and before that we know how to do it better than we've done ever before. Yeah. I love that awareness. I, and I think, you know, we met in a, um, a storytelling sort of speaking course and I think that is so applicable in, in this issue where, no, it's not, let's not, it's not like, let's see if we can get to Mars just to say that we did. It's like, no, there will be lessons learned by going to Mars, yeah. right? And, and, and business impacts. I think your, your guys' company is such a clear example of that. It's very clear in my mind how you will help make money or save money. By, by doing what Space Forge is doing, right? And mm -hmm. so people, I think even the GPS example, like we take these things for granted that are driven by satellites, right? That we just we just think that our phone has it already somewhere in there, right? It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, cool, so that's the sort of, I agree, this resurgence in space, certainly why it matters. Let's shift to this idea of like tackling big, hard problems because... You know, I have felt in the entrepreneur space that, you know, kind of, and that's maybe why Web3 has sort of captured my fancy in this sort of, you know, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of the use cases, but this hope or potential for a better internet, whereas for a while, it just seemed like we just kept coming up with 
new ways to make a, a social network or uh, just another, you know, SaaS company. Like it just was yeah. thing, like things just weren't that like, could they make money? Sure. But like, were they interesting? Not really. And I think we maybe got a little soft and I said this, I know I'm making a generalization here about society, but um, in doing and tackling really big, hard problems. So how as a leader, did you and say your co-founder be like, yeah, let's go to space and manufacture in the space environment. Or even as you said earlier, before we hit record, no one has ever returned anything from space to Europe, right? Say that. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. So Uh, even that, like the odds are against you, right? Yeah. And I think uh, really, I I mean, this really came from a place of like professional dissatisfaction. Okay. Um, I was working in a big corporate, uh, I, you know, I had some responsibility. I quite enjoyed what I did. I liked working with the people I, um, I were in my team. But the the next youngest person in my team was 23 years older than me. And the next youngest oh, wow. after him was another 20 years older than that. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, I don't know, 22, 23 at the time. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, I could, I could do this for the next 40 years. I'd be comfortable. I'd, you know, I'd be fairly you know, kind of, I'd, I'd be financially fine and, and everything, but I would get, I would get to that retirement age and I would look back and go, what did I do? Like, what, what have I actually done that's moved the needle or moved us forward or even made me happy? Uh, and I could not reconcile, I could not, I could not find an answer in that, that I was happy with personally to, to stay there. Uh, and, and so that, that was why when Andy tapped me on the shoulder with the, the technology that sits behind space which i jumped at it hmm. and i think at the same time i you know i would agree with you there are lots of SaaS companies and fintech and, and that kind of stuff and like for me personally the thing i don't get at the moment is 20 minute grocery delivery um like i don't know if this is the shift from generation z to millennial and, and that kind of thing but for me like i like i like being able to i don't know feel an avocado and know that it's right sure. and put that in my basket than some person I don't know doing it and they give me something yep. that's like got to stay in, you know, next to a banana for 14 days to, to be fine. <laughs> um, and what we, what we arrived at myself and Andy was that there was nothing that could consume more of our time that wasn't dedicated to fighting, to fighting climate change. Um, now, with our backgrounds in space, we knew that that would be a challenge because people would say, well, the CO2 that a rocket emits, do you need to go to space? Those those, those are challenges, yeah. of course. Yeah. Yeah. But with the way that we approached it with that kind of climate slash planet first mentality bore out the technology and the vision and the use cases that became Spaceforge. Um, and I think because we started from that position of wanting to contribute, that, that drove a much more powerful narrative for what we were trying to build uh, and to be honest then created the vision that the team that we now have could get behind yeah and i'm going to ask you that question since i know you have an answer given you know again how i met you give us the elevator like what is the vision when you're trying to say pitch an investor or recruit an employee cast that vision for us let's face forge we're building technology that nobody has ever built before this is the first opportunity anybody's had in their life to directly contribute to something that is not only created on earth, taken to space and brought back, but has the opportunity to directly address and solve some of our most pressing issues of our generation. 
for every kilogram of CO2 that we create as Spaceforge, we can prevent 80 tons of CO2 from being made on planet Earth. My goal, personally, as, as Josh Nord of Spaceforge, is to have the world's first carbon-negative space company. Hmm. Cool. I love that. That's great. That was good. That was good. I gave you some chills there. So, uh, okay. So that's, I would say you and Andy felt this uh, pull of, you know, if we're going to go do something, let's tackle this massive problem yeah. and we'll see how close we can get, but like, why not? Why not us? Why not this problem? Um, which I think is a huge leadership lesson in, in sort of believing in, you know, how high can we go? Right. And not limiting, yeah. you know, whether it be the fact that you're, that you're based in the UK, that you are, uh, you know, political science background, you know, all the, all the chips were against you as far as why you would be the person to successfully start a space company. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, and I, I think I think part of it does come from that that vision and that and that clarity of focus. But I think it also comes from, and I'm I'm sure it was some famous philosopher or somebody that said this, but it was that um, you know, do something where if you don't exceed succeed, the world is still a better place. Hmm. Yeah. And you know, even in the technologies we've built so far, there are uses for them on Earth that even if we don't succeed in everything we try to do. We've still done things that improve us, improve the team, uh, and improve the planet. So let's shift to the last the last kind of topic I want to hit on with leadership related to what you just said is tackling hard problems um, also require discipline. They require mm-hmm. systems and processes and um, dedication, and, and, and often they're slow. So how do you uh, balance what I call when I, when I was a CEO, like the three and the 30,000. So the 30,000 foot view, which for you is even, you know, above the atmosphere. So much more, I don't know how many thousands, um, which is casting a vision. Cause you need to raise funding. You need to hire really talented, smart people and get them excited about this big problem, but also like show up to work and, you know, what do what Josh used to do, which is like review contracts and paperwork. Yeah. How do you keep your team focused and balance that three and that 30,000? Uh, I think I think that's down to the team values that we've built at Spaceforge. Um, so there are there are five of them. Uh, not not to go into into too much detail, but two that I'll focus on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first is uh, ambitious and resilient, uh, and the final. It's not really a value, but it's always a key thing that I like to touch on. Is we celebrate failure of the month. Mm. Um, so to to take the former of those, ambitious and resilience is is the first value of Spaceforge. We set ourselves incredibly audacious goals, like trying to manufacture something in space and return it to Europe for the first time ever. We know that's a big goal, um, and we know that we will have we will make mistakes. We know that there will be failures along the way. We will do the classic move fast, break things type approach. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, in all of those cases, we're resilient in the face of those failures because we recognise the scale of what we're trying to achieve. And I think I think really that is the kind of the three versus the thirty thousand is that what are the what are the things I do every day that move the needle forward to this technology being real? Yeah. And failure of the month is almost an extension of that. In that every month we do a team all hands, uh, and so we all get together that kind of thing, um, and we celebrate those values, but we also celebrate failure of the month. Wh- who made the worst mistake? <laughs> that month. Um, and you know, we've had 
We've had, you know, people who've managed to break carbon fiber boom, somebody that managed to burn a hole in their carpet while trying to test out a alloying payload um, all the way through to somebody loaded the wrong type of milk into the coffee machine, uh, which obviously sure. ruined everybody's day. Uh, <laughs> but each one of those mistakes and failures, after we celebrate them, we print, uh, the person gets a, a trophy in the shape of a mushroom cloud with a uh, crown on it. And then we make a little certificate that highlights that failure, and it goes on. Uh, it goes on the wall, which is along the corridor in our manufacturing area. Um, and each one of those certificates is there. There's now a lot of them because we've been going a while. Um, but not one single one of those failures or mistakes has ever been repeated by anybody else at Spaceforge. Um, and for me, that's key. Uh, and, and that's like you know, they say you can never over communicate. But yes. I think just that constant visual reminder is what's helped move us so fast, so quickly. Uh, I love that. And so, and so accurately, really. Yeah. And they talk about, you know, the power of artifacts within a company and just that, yeah, that visual reminder. And we used to say at Lemonly, like, you know, we're a culture of ask for forgiveness instead of permission. And, you know, and we were dealing with pretty low stakes, right? Like JPEGs, you know, like you potentially have, uh, you know, satellites. Uh, so turning the right nuts and bolts and screws are, are pretty important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, space attracts those kind of people because they recognize how high the stakes are, but they recognize the beauty of the technology that they get to work on. Uh, and I think that's a really rare combination in, in any field, um, which has helped us build such a great team. Yeah. Um, last question, and then we'll do a little rapid fire. So like, give us a little sense of what, what this looks like over the next couple of years, because, you know, I know I go to the website and it can say like, you know, get early access or whatever it says, obviously it's what you guys are doing isn't a consumer facing thing, but you just started, you know, full-time in March of 2020. So uh, to me, you've accomplished quite a bit in a couple of years. What do the next couple of years look like for Space Forge? So we talked about the eight weeks. That's a big date. Yeah. yeah. So in about eight weeks time, our first mission is going to space, uh, the Forge Star Zero. Um, it has a name in Welsh as well, uh, but I can't pronounce it, so I'm not going to try to. Uh, Can I like watch it? Will you stream this? Can I watch yeah. it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure Virgin Orbit will be streaming it. That's who we're going to be launching with. Um, okay. And we are so about eight weeks away from that. We have designed, built, and qualified that satellite in five months. Um, the last, uh, so we broke broke the record in the UK. Uh, the last time this was done, it was 14 months. So okay. we have. We've been absolutely rapid in that. Um, in another sort of six to eight months, sometime in the first half of 2023, our next mission will launch the Forge Star 1, um, which will be the first full mission capability of both in-space manufacturing and return. The way that that return technology works, I like to describe as Mary Poppins, but from space. Um, <laughs> so it's much, it's much gentler than anything else on the market and means that it's fully reusable. So we, uh, it even looks a little bit like an umbrella that allows us to fold it back up, send it back up into space and use it again and again. Um, but in two years time, uh, we need to increase the engineering team to about a hundred people. Um, and we're looking to achieve a run rate of about 12 satellites a year by 2025. Oh, wow. Um, so at some point in 2024, we will have the manufacturing facility to do that. Um, so there's there's a huge growth opportunity uh, on in in many ways we're already on it. I mean, two three weeks ago we were 38 people. We're now 41. Uh, I think we've got another five people joining soon. So it's it's constant, um, but it's fundamentally the best learning opportunity I've ever had. 
Um, That's fantastic. Yeah. So definitely like a crawl, walk, run, right? I mean, you have to kind of prove the idea and then you're able to start, like you said, in eight weeks to a launch and then someday a monthly launch. Yeah, indeed. That's great. Well, let's get to know Josh a little bit before we wrap uh, a couple of rapid fire questions. I love to get to okay. know the leaders on the show. Um, usually leaders are readers. So like, what's the book you would recommend to people most often or gift to folks? Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to cheat and say it's a trilogy, um, <laughs> but you can, you can buy it as one enormous tome if you really want to. Uh, and that is his dark materials by Philip Pullman, um, Northern lights, subtle knife and a spyglass. Okay. Okay. I feel uh, like I've heard of that. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, to be honest, they're kind of like a young adult kind of something you'd read when you were kind of, you know, I don't know. Didn't did HBO 13. adapt that to a show? Uh, yes. Yeah. Actually, That's what yeah, I'm I think, thinking I think of. The first, I feel like Lin-Manuel Miranda or something like that. Um, and, but for me, that is uh, almost like a fundamental text on reconciling your position as a human within the universe. Hmm. Uh, and it takes it takes place in a parallel universe where people's souls exist next to them as a as a creature. And as you grow older, you understand your true self, and the creature takes its final form. Um, and it tells you a lot about the person. Like, I, are you a cat or a dog person? Well, you might have a dog soul or a cat soul. Sure, sure. Um, but it, it 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 brings all sorts of science and, and universal conceptions together. Um, but it's also it's just so beautifully told. Uh, and for me, I just think it's one of those fantastic things that it, um, it's almost one of those books like, you know, when you have those weird shower questions and you just like, Oh, isn't it funny that we live on the other side of the universe to where diamonds, uh, to where diamonds, to where dinosaurs were, um, just because of the way the universe has expanded. And it's, it's one of those books that can make you realize how small you are, but also how big your actions can be. Uh, I, I just think it's so beautiful. I love that. I always need a little more fiction in my queue. So that's good. Um, Okay. How do you like to, uh, I imagine this type of work can be pretty consuming and uh, consume all your thoughts. How do you like to unplug? What does Josh like to do? I love to cook. Uh, So I, I, to be honest, I tend to cook most nights. Um, I'm the only member of my family that's not a chef or not been a chef. Uh, so my, my brother's one, my parents, my grandparents, and my great, 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 great grandparents all the way back, um, even quick cooked for Queen Victoria. Oh, wow. Um, but I would say, so cooking, I enjoy doing, uh, especially bread making, because I just find it so therapeutic to use my hands, which is not just typing on a keyboard. Uh, and at the same, the kind of at the more extreme end, I really love my like um, competitive obstacle courses uh so uh kind of like tough mudder but big yeah, yeah 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 um so in may i ran a 26 mile obstacle course whoa uh, okay in a marathon I, I did, I did with an obstacle course yeah yeah because I, I hate i hate running i find it so boring but i love but you obstacles. are running you're still yeah, running yeah. 26 miles <laughs> but i love the obstacles so it's the obstacles that get me through it um that's incredible and I did, yeah and i did that uh yeah four hours and four hours 30 minutes that was um hurt immensely afterwards um but i i i I find that kind of the the ability to kind of you know just just push yourself physically like that really helps to separate me from from the magnitude of what we're looking to build at space sure that makes sense um i imagine uh, a lot of caps as a ceo of a space company and a fast-growing startup so uh what do you think is your superpower the thing you do best 
uh, uh, I, th I think actually this is, I think this is pretty critical um, for any leader. Uh, and I think it's the ability to admit my own failures. Mm. Um, the ability, you know, ultimately, you know, kind of classic, the buck stops with me, whatever the problem is in the company, ultimately it's my responsibility. Um, and having the humility and the ego to recognize that while at the same time being able to communicate effectively to the team that you're learning as much as they are and and to be uh, you know and to essentially ask for the time to improve or change or or find a solution to that problem um i think is how you can build real trust in in a team that looks to you for to, to really to navigate the, the the sorts of things that we're looking to do yeah that's really good and and then knowing that you're in a, in a business and in industry as you talked about with the failure of the month you will fail so setting that yeah. example that even the leader is going to fail um i imagine that's really good precedent to start um, yeah yeah it's helped helped a lot uh talk to us then lastly the question we always ask on lead more podcast is who are the leaders who have shaped you so who are people you've studied or 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 know dearly who have made you a better leader uh okay i'll take i'll take a couple from both um on a on a on a personal level to be honest i'd have i'd have to say my parents um so in you know when i was growing up and before i kind of left home for for college my dad was made redundant something like seven times um and it's like a real kind of like working class british story like you know he worked in every factory that was around the local area and each one closed and moved production somewhere else mm. to China, to Eastern Europe, wherever it might be. Um, but the resilience that my parents had in not having very much, uh, I think really shaped me. Uh, it helps to be that as a CEO, because you think about money um, sure. and, how to, and how to protect it and how to make sure yeah. you don't run out of cash a lot differently. Um, but the, you know, the way that they just always kind of dusted themselves off when that happened, um, I, I think really is kind of core to that resilience value that we have at Spaceforge um that's good and i think kind of more kind of holistically um i, I think leaders which i uh am probably um you know would, would respect or have studied um this was probably a little bit controversial but i would say machiavelli hmm. um who was essentially um like the right hand of the king or the ruler of venice back when italy was broken up into all sorts of different kingdoms um, now there's a lot in there I don't agree with, but mm -hmm. the way that he wrote and communicated the kind of things you needed to do to run a kingdom, um, I think were really quite remarkable and, and in many ways ahead of their time because people still use them today. Um, and then, I mean, I would probably also say, um, it probably have to be, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, to be honest. Mm. Um, Good answer. You know, I think, yeah, I think she did so much. And, and I'm, I'm sure she's, she's someone that, that many of your listeners will be able to kind of, uh, certainly will have heard of and, and possibly even identify with. Um, and, you know, I even remember the, uh, the clip that Robbie showed us when it was the difference between sex and gender. Uh, and what she went through to get her point across back in an all-male dominated court. Mm -hmm. I, I I thought that was fascinating. And it it was one of those great encapsulations of just being able to stand up for what you believe in, even, mm -hmm. even in a setting like that, um, and shift the narrative. 
Um, and I don't think we have enough people that do that in those sorts of positions. That's a great answer. Love it. Well, Josh, this was a treat uh, for me. It's just so the space stuff just gets me excited and it's fun to hear your passion for it and, and your vision. Um, it's cool to know somebody working in that space. So you definitely have uh, the lead more audience behind cheering you on. Um, so keep up the great work. And uh, I guess, where can we, if someone is curious about the journey, like how do we follow along or where's the best place? Uh, to, you can to find tabs? me on uh, Twitter um, at Western J underscore LinkedIn uh space watch website whatever um Perfect. but always happy to answer questions about space uh and john i'll make sure as well that when we have that launch i'll, I'll get some merch sent over to you as well oh cool gosh that's great well thanks josh thanks for coming on the show excellent thank you so much for having me bye all right now that was our episode with josh western thanks so much for coming on the show josh good luck in eight weeks, I will be rooting you on. This is super exciting. And so I'm sure the Lead More community will be following you as long as well. Thanks for teaching us about space, how manufacturing is going to work in space. I think this is super exciting and, and really just inspiring when you think about some of the problems you guys are setting out to tackle. So reminder, we drop new episodes of the Lead More podcast every other Thursday. You can find them at leadmorepodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. And while you're there, give us a subscribe, like the podcast, leave us a review if you want, and subscribe to the show so you'd never miss an episode of the Lead More Podcast. With that, take care and be well.